Welcome to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Mr. Sebastian Stewart-Johnson. Again, with the government, with the government always. Always. <laughs> Good stuff. And we have an amazing guest on the show today, someone that I am very excited to be interviewing. Jillian, say hello to our audience. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Perfect. Super excited to have Jillian here. We'll talk a little bit more about all of her amazing accomplishments in just a moment. But uh, before we do that, you know what it is, Sebastian? It is with the Menace Moment. And yes, I will be giving a great Menace Moment today on my personal opinion. Um, it's Bayard Rustin. He's one of my favorite civil rights activists. Um, and he has a particularly dope story. So a little bit about him. He was born March 17th, 1912 in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, he obviously was an activist, but a little bit about him that after he finished high school, he had different odd jobs and he traveled and eventually he would obtain his university schooling at the City College of New York and a few other institutions, but he never did finally get that degree. But a little bit about him is he worked for the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which was a non-denominational religious organization from 1941 to 1953. And he also was a, was a big organizer in New York um, and a, another reformers group that was called the Congress of Racial Equity, Equality rather. But because Bayard Rustin was, he was a gay man, a gay black man in particular, in 1953, he was arrested in California after he was discovered um, having sex with another man. Because of it, he served 50 days in jail and was registered as a sex offender. Um, and because of his sexuality as well, despite being very active in the civil rights movement as a whole, he had to be pushed to the back. But despite being pushed to the back, he was still a close advisor to the civil rights leader MLK. Um, and he was also the principal organizer of the um, of Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or the SCLC, which is incredibly prominent in the civil rights movement. And if you don't know about it, maybe just go learn. It's a, it's a good thing. Um, but a huge thing that Bayard Rustin did in particular, that he was a chief architect of the March on Washington, which just about everybody in the world knows because that's where Dr. Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. So he was the reason that whole event happened. Um, but oftentimes history books have looked over him because of his sexuality. Um, he was overlooked in the moment because of it. But I feel like now people are now starting to hear his story a little bit more. Mm. Um, he would continue doing much more activism because in 1964, he directed a student boycott of New York's public, New York City's public school system. And then last but not least, he continued working as an activist, leading um, a whole A. Philip Randolph Institute in New York City as well. And got after the, silver, the more black civil rights movement, he stepped in to fight more in the, the, gay, right, the gay rights movement. And eventually in 2013, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Posthumously, I'm not good at that, that word. Post, posthumous. Posthumous, there, there we go. go. <laughs> I might be slightly dyslexic, I believe. It's so. Fine. Yes, sounding out is not my strength. It's a fun fact about me. But he received the, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and in 2020, he was finally pardoned for his 1953 conviction. And that is Bayard Rustin in a nutshell. Perfect. Yeah. I had heard the name Bayard Rustin, but I did not know that he was like an architect of... Yeah. The, the, uh, you can actually see him in most pictures with MLK. Interesting. It's very, yeah, it's very fascinating. That is. Jillian, were you going to say something? Oh, no. Hmm? I, I mean, all for Black queer history, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I will say it's interesting to note for me, growing up, I didn't learn a lot about like black queer history. Um, and I feel like it was kind of deliberate just because of like that homophobia that's in the black Absolutely. community. 
where I would hear names, you know, like, oh, well, so-and-so did this, ah, but they were gay, so we don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, and like thinking about that, I realized like there's definitely a gap in my in my knowledge, my understanding. So thank you, Sebastian. You're welcome. Teaching us about yes, yes, yes. Bayard Rustin. Is that saying that right? Bayard Rustin. Bayard Rustin. He's cool. dope. Yeah. Well, without uh, further ado, we have an icon in our midst. Icon. Who <laughs> flew all the way from the exotic and beautiful land of Arizona. It's to, like uh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the hot <laughs> desert. Oh, man. And I lived in Arizona, so I loved it. I was yeah. honestly, it was a beautiful place to live. But um, when we flew all the way from Arizona to come and be here with us today um, in studio, um, I'm just low key like fangirling. It's fine. Yeah, well, We're fangirling. Honestly, yeah. I'm. I've met you in person before, but like, it's it'll be, it'll be good to sit down and like have a conversation with you. Yeah. I was going to read what you put in your bio here that you are a daughter, a sister, a mother, a wife, an athlete, founder of the Phoenix Women's Rugby Club. Come on, and a professional bodybuilder and a real estate agent. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot so, of hats to wear. That's that's a it lot. Is of, a lot of the hats same to wear. thing. Yes, indeed. that's a like, long list. Shit, I did that. <laughs> and uh, you did. And we're gonna jump into it today. All right. Yes, we're excited to So, if you would, um, you know, also one thing that you have put down is that you are biracial, mm -hmm. and also that you identify as queer and mm -hmm. as a cis woman. Yeah. Do you want to kind of just talk about um, what it was like coming into your biracial identity, figuring out who you were? Uh, you know, from a young age and then growing up? I, I mean, I, I identify as Black. Mm -hmm. However, I feel that for inter intersectionality sake, it's, you know, I guess also just to kind of give some context, sometimes it helps to say, oh yeah, I'm biracial. You know, mm -hmm. I have a white mom and I have a Black dad. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I feel like it's important to kind of acknowledge both. Mm -hmm. I did also listen to the episode with um, your other guest that was talking about like how a lot of biracial people feel like they have to choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. um, we can get more into my story like down the road maybe, <laughs> but... Um, and if I could, sorry, I want to yeah. kind of like pivot my question yeah. since I've been checked a little bit. I appreciate it. Oh, okay. But um, so how, just kind of instead of your biracial identity, how was it coming into your black identity and, and how did that look? Um, well, so the way I grew up, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I was born and raised there. Okay. Um, our, I guess our population, the, the demographic of where I grew up was Chandler, Arizona, largely Latinx population. Mm. Um, next biggest would probably be white. And then the smallest was like black folks. Mm. Um, I grew up all the way from kindergarten all the way through sixth grade into middle school with my my grandmother. She lived at home with us um, and helped raise me. So, and she's my black grandma mm. um, from West Africa. So every day she would wake up, walk me to school. I would be like, bye, cross the street. <laughs> and then she'd be there waiting at the crosswalk for me. Cool. So that was how I grew up, you yeah. know? So um, my parents both worked outside the home for a while. Um, and she was like my largest role model. That's so, cool. um, super grateful because, you know, I do have friends who are also biracial, um, and they feel like they're kind of disconnected. I grew up mm. with a very rich exposure to culture and like specifically Nigerian, uh, culture. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that kind of helps answer your question, yeah. Yeah, but, um, you know, my mom was also a mom who 
was fearless in saying, you're a black child. Mm -hmm. So not a lot of white mothers or, you know, and people's story I've talked with, like, you know, they'll be like, well, you're biracial, but you're, but you're, (laughs) you know, but, but, but Mm -hmm. she's like, you're black. Right. And so even when I'd be like, I'm not black, she'd be like, no. (laughs) So that's cute. (laughs) hate to break it to you. Yeah, I hate to break it to you, but mm." (laughs) so. Do you feel like that was like helpful in your development or harmful or like a little Mm. bit of Um, both? I feel like, I feel like it was helpful because even though maybe she could have prepared me a little differently, she couldn't come from the angle of I experienced, I, she does not know how it is to navigate the world as a black person. Mm. She is black person adjacent. But she's not ever going to know what it's like to be my dad or Mm. be us. So I feel like she did the best that she could. And I feel like she did better than some kids get where it's like, I'm going to let you know who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, But she I don't think that she could really articulate like, hey, you know, when I got when I first got called the N word at school, I didn't talk to my mom about it. She was like, let's talk to your grandma. Mm. Mm to navigate that because she didn't know how to navigate that interesting Hmm. so i think she did the best that she could i don't think it necessarily hurt me but it really helped i feel like for me it helped me i guess it sounds like i think yeah i'm also biracial i had a very like similar i was very in 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 within black culture like where i'm from is very very heavily black but um a lot of people i speak to as well they have similar like where their their family doesn't recognize their blackness or they're not, there is not that um, connection with black women or just black people in general. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's a lovely experience. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. So when would you say that you kind of, aside from your, uh, aside from your mother kind of talking about it, when would you say that you first became aware of like your, your racial identity and like, you know, how old were you? Um, when you, when you I would say really that? young. Yeah. Um, is there like a specific moment where you kind of became aware of the fact that like, oh, maybe I'm not the same as like some of my friends? The earliest I could probably remember is probably like when I went to school. So mm. like kindergarten, mm. um, because I feel like that's when you are trying, like you're kind of catching your footing as a kid and you're navigating something outside of your household. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it might, you might not seem different to yourself and the people that you're immediately around most of the time. But then when you're outside, it's like, people will tell you how you're different. Mm. And so like, oh, well, this is Jillian. She has curly hair. Why does everyone else around me not have curly hair? It's Mm -hmm. like straight and blonde and, you know, just, or like long and straight, you know, and it's just like, you start to just notice those differences. Um, I mean, also just culturally speaking, like African culture is just different. And so like when I started kind of making more friends and, you know, going to their houses, you start to notice the cultural differences that are just different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The way you speak to your elders or you don't, um, you know, so. I was going to ask you about that, actually, if I if I could kind of like your grandma is Nigerian, right? Mm-hmm. Inside the house. So your father was as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. I mean, yeah, yeah that's yeah. how it normally works, but just want to make sure. Um, but I guess my question was, how was it operating and kind of learning African-American culture while having heavily African culture in your home and seeing that difference that you kind of just mentioned? Well, you just noted, like, sometimes it's blatant. Mm. Like, sometimes it was like, oh no, you're Black but your friends, they're black American and it's different. Hmm. 
so that was something where I like I remember being told that and I was like, well, that's weird. Her skin's pretty much the same color as mine. Right. Or, you know, like we're all black, but we're not all black. Like, right. you know, so it was um, I mean, it's, you know, and it can it's, I guess African culture is vast and varied, too. So, I mean, not everyone was doing the same things that we were doing. You know, someone from Ghana or someone mm-hmm. from Ethiopia might sure. operate different than someone who's Yoruba. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it was just sometimes it's blatant. Sometimes it's just like, oh, well, like my grandma never taught me how to like lay down my baby hairs. Mm. But like I had friends who that was like something that was part of their style and culture. So it was just like, oh, well, I go to their house. We'd be doing each other's hair. And they're like, well, we're just going to do these. And then I'd go home. My grandma's like, what is this? (laughs) So it's just like you just I guess it kind of borders upon like, you know, being separate. But then like, I guess I don't know. It's, you know, I don't know Mm. how to describe that. Yeah. But you just kind of notice what you notice the ways that you're in common and then you notice the ways that are different. And it sometimes it overlaps and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's intersecting. Sometimes it's not. Hurting. But yeah. That's really interesting. It is. And so I guess since we're kind of on the subject of identity, did you also grow up a member of the LDS church? I did. Okay. So how was that? Like, how was it merging that LDS identity with the identity of being African, being black? All of that. So how I, okay, so how I came in, I'm actually a convert. Okay. So, well, was a convert. Um, My mom was born and raised like LDS, Mm. you know, Uh, my dad was never a member. Okay. Um, And so that he's, he identifies as Anglican, you know, so, (laughs) um, you know, I used to go to, I used to go to a lot of different churches, um, but then we reached a point where, you know, I used to go to church with my grandma to black church and they had donuts and they had the fun music. And then it was kind of like, I met the neighbors. I will never forget them. The Campbells, they lived <laughs> on the corner and they were like, you're going to come to church with us. And I was like, okay. So, um, I started going to church with them. Um, and I took the missionary discussions and then, um, read the book of Mormon. How I was an avid reader. I was nine. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. I was like, very like, yeah, that's, I'm going to do this. Right I'm test. jumping in like, you know? Yeah. Well, um, and then obviously at, I guess not everyone might know or be aware, but if one, if it's a part member household, the other non-member parent was required to give, you know, right. You know, permission. My mm-hmm. mom was inactive at the time. So they also had to be like, are you okay with this? Right. And you know, they gave the okay. My grandpa, my mom's mom, or my mom's dad came down and baptized me. Um, and that kind of opened that up and you were nine when you got i was nine yeah august 1st 1998 i think wow um so yeah um and then you know then comes the nuance of growing up you know we didn't have the typical it was a very atypical mormon household Mm. my mom was inactive for a while then started coming was reactivated after i joined and then my dad just would come if it was important. Like if we had like a really mm. good prime, like important primary program or, you know, some sort of important something was happening, he'd mm-hmm. show up and support. But, um, and my grandma as well. But um, yeah, so I mean, I, you know, grew up, get older, you start going to seminary. Um, I would say that maybe the biggest middle school going into high school was probably where I became very aware of like how I was different in church and not just church, like with based on my skin color, Mm. but also just the fact that, you know, 
my mom was active, but my dad was not. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was really interesting, not having a priesthood holder in the home. Mm. Um, you know, so right. Yeah, you kind of start to notice things. I'm sure. Yeah. Notice things like what? Like what would you say specifically? Um, I would say sometimes it was more like sometimes it's blatant, right? Like Mm -hmm. I remember my baby sister, Rhea. Um, we had, we were living in Gilbert, Arizona, uh, which is very similar to Salt Lake. Like there's very much churches on every corner, you mm. know, you get release time during high school to go to seminary. Um, and, um, she had gone to go play at a neighbor's house. We'll call them the Smiths. <laughs> um, and <laughs> she came back home and she had a picture with her mm. and on the picture, it was, a picture of our family and the little girl had drawn my mom and then the rest of us in the house that were black people of color she just drew big black scribbles and was like this is your family wow and i was like that's that's really something weird to draw on a piece of paper and give to someone like so my sister never forgot that and my mom was just like and these were church people yeah they were in our ward they lived right around the corner so Mm -hmm. My mom went over and ended up talking to them, but it's just like stuff like that where mm. you're just like, mm. huh, it, it, you, you you kind of, in, you can't help but internalize it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, um, you try and assimilate the best that you can. You try and follow the principles and live by, you know, the doctrines, but then it's like, I feel like people will never stop reminding you how different you are. Mm. Mm. That's very true. And yeah. I feel like, with that, uh, with that picture, they single-handedly debunked the whole "I don't see color" thing. Right? Because that's it, it that's seeming like that's there it is. Crayola, was Crayola colors. colors. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing they saw was color. Yeah, so, man, that's wild. Um, and you know, I I hate to just kind of like keep bouncing from thing no, to thing, okay. but like I just want to cover like all of yeah. the different identities that you have. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to your LDS identity, in addition to your Black identity, in addition to your Nigerian identity. Talk about your queer identity mm. and like how you came into that. Absolutely. When you began to realize that hmm, maybe I'm a little bit different in that area and like what it was like for you discovering your queer identity. I just got like full body chills. Um, so I knew really early on. <laughs> I'm like, so I have that effect on people. <laughs> He's, he whispered, that's the spirit. <laughs> I'm, I'm goofy like that. <laughs> I mean, here I am feeling it. Um, so... I was aware really early on, like from like probably third, fourth grade. Mm. I was just like, huh. And and I feel like you are kind of surrounded by all these things that tell you how it is. And then you're kind of like operating in this gray area. Um, but I mean, I guess in general, it's very, our world, our society is very hetero, cis heteronormative, sure. right? It's the man and the woman Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's the ideal and that's how it operates. But then I didn't really, because you're exposed to that, you don't really have like a way of articulating like, well, what if I'm different? Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm different in all these different ways, (laughs) but like this feels really different. Mm. Um, And, you know, I have always just kind of been all over the place, but I just definitely knew that I was not like hetero. I was like, but I like this person and I like this person. It doesn't really matter to me. I just really like this person. Um, And then as you get older, then I feel like once I got kind of 
in like young women's, it was very much like you are then conditioned mm -hmm. to be like, you're going to be, this is your role. Right. Gender roles are very set, very firm, laid out, and this is how you're going to operate. And then I was like, wow, I must be, something is wrong. Right. Like I, I, and then came the shame and the guilt and like, well, if I'm going to make this work, then I'm going to have to try and fit a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> like, mm. um, and what age do you feel like that was, were you kind of? Was coming to that realization um when i was probably like 12, 12 11, 11 12 13 like when you're kind of mm -hmm. pubescent and it's like Growing okay yeah and yeah. you know like then the topic of dating comes and i'm like well what if i don't want to date right. i don't want to date this guy i'm i'm i want to just go hang out with my girlfriends yeah. like and then like figuring out like well i like this person as my friend but i also Mm. kind of want to kiss them like <laughs> you know and it's just like you're trying to work that and it's mm -hmm. like very much an internal struggle and um i mean once i went and sat in on an interview like a worthiness interview it was very clear like this is dirty this is wrong mm. you will do this or you will end up needing to get help which mm. you know we can get into it but i was offered conversion therapy mm. it's like and that was in college but um, the worthiness interviews, when we start to do the baptisms for the dead and all that, that was where I was like, okay, so I need to go along to get along and I need to start like praying to have my burden and this trial that I've chosen. Right. I, I felt I was very much like I was predestined. Like this is my trial in my life. Not mm -hmm. only was I born black, right. but now I just had to like sweeten that pot a little bit and make <laughs> life a little harder for myself, right. you know? Yeah. Which I think is the... It's the most manipulative and the most like toxic belief system that's poured into our society or specifically into religion and, and Mormonism. But it's the idea that you choose to be like unhappy. Yeah. Why? Mm. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. choose to be unhappy to be eternally happy, quote unquote. And I just think that is very contradicting logic yeah. to use Absolutely. to then control somebody's actions. Yeah. Did, did y'all ever get the uh, the explanation that was like, oh... You so we all know the whole fence sitter theory, where yeah. like black people were less valiant. <clears throat> oh yeah, been called the, a fence sitter more than once. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. But then on the <laughs> other side of that, then there were the people that would teach. Oh no, black people were more valiant. That's why they chose the trial of right. being black. Did y'all ever get that? Did you ever hear that one? I feel like that maybe might be someone who's like a white liberal trying to like mm -hmm. soften the blow a little. It feels bit. like benevolent racism Instead, you know it's like <laughs> yeah we always talk benevolent sexism yeah, it feels mm -hmm. like benevolent racism you're so much better than me that you had to be oppressed in this life like i'm cool yeah you know what i mean well right, if i don't want right. to be better than you i'm cool i'm perfectly fine right, I'm, you know yeah. I just like want love the sinner hate <laughs> right. the sin that's benevolent homophobia it's like, yeah. terrible mm -hmm. okay you're gay but right. we, yeah. we hate you but you know, yeah it's fine <laughs> or no it was we hate your your lifestyle but we, your we lifestyle you. this <laughs> is a choice <laughs> it doesn't oh. work like that okay and yeah. you you mentioned um, just to jump into back what you're saying, um, you mentioned your college experience, mm -hmm. conversion therapy. Do you want to? Can we dive into that if possible? Wait, I'm sorry, sure. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, do we don't have to, to dive that? into yeah. it. No, no, I want to get to that okay. for sure. But before we do, I wanted yes. to ask, Absolutely. what was it like? Um, like, because you said you kind of became aware of all of those different things, like mm. around like 11, 12. You're a recent convert to the church, mm. so, you're, so you know, kind of catching up on all the stuff you might have missed in primary. Mm -hmm. What was it like? after going into those worthiness interviews, realizing that you had to like adjust yourself, what was it like kind of like 
compacting all of that or like suppressing it as a teenager before a you question. got to your college years? I'm glad you stopped me. Um, I would say I'm a people pleaser, right? <sighs> so it's like it was it was very much a mixing pot of <sighs> I'm I this is my trial. I chose this. Like, and I want, I have everything laid out for me. I want to get to the celestial kingdom mm -hmm. and I am going to go through the temple and I'm, and then it's like, but if I'm going to do those things, then I'm going to have to, you know, not succumb to the natural woman, I hate natural man, mm -hmm. but the natural, like just normal feelings that I felt like were normal, but then being told they're abnormal, then it's like, well, if I'm going to make this work, it's like cognitive dissonance. For it's sure. like, okay, I'm just going to give up. It was the beginning of like a domino effect of like giving up little pieces of myself mm. to like get my eternal glory. Mm. And that it's damaging. There was yeah, a lot absolutely. of self-loathing. Mm. Um, like definitely was like, there were times where it got really dark and it's like, if I can't make this work, then like, why am I even here? Mm -hmm. Um it it's it was really tough to navigate but mm. then it's like well i'm a people pleaser that people pleaser in me is like okay put on the mask and i'm just going to go out and i'm going to like go hard like just like how when i took the missionary discussions it was like i'm going to read the whole book of mormon and i did and <sighs> it's like well i'm going to if this is what i need to do and this is my role i'm going to step into that i'm going to lean into that and i'm going to do the best that i possibly can because i guess it'll all be fixed in the end like not only will i be made white in the second coming i'm going to be made straight <laughs> what a win like right. but it it was it was hard mm -hmm. but then it's like well you just kind of i feel like you get numbed enough to the fact like you get numbed to it enough where it's like well i guess this is just my bed i'm going to lay in it mm. yeah so what was wow. dating like for you as a teenager then? Like once um, you got to the dating age mm -hmm. of 16. So angsty. What was it like? Um, so you I didn't really I preferred the company of women when I was in puberty. And mm -hmm. it was interesting because I'm like, why am I so mad that my best girlfriend got a boyfriend? It was mm. so, it surpassed like right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then it was like, well, if I'm going to do this, then I just need to like be boy crazy and be like, oh yeah, like brother Wolf, he looks so good. Like what? Like, mm. but it was just like, you don't like brother Wolf. Right. You like his girlfriend. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just yeah. weird. It's just, it's just so weird. So like you'd show up and do like the youth dances and like you just do your thing. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, can I just go hang with my girlfriends or can I go hang with like the people who are weird like me, mm. you know? Mm. So, I mean, dating was okay, but then it's like, here I was in high school, like I would date, I would do my best to date boys who I could tolerate. And then like, on the flip side, I'd be having like sleepovers with girls and then like we would kiss like mm. and I'd be like, oh, and that's what really got yeah. me excited, you know, yeah. mm. but then it was like if I couldn't, I would have to be very intellectual with a man or a boy at that point because you're in high school, you're kids, <laughs> mm. but it's like I'd have to be very intellectually stimulated in order to make it work. Right. Mm. Um, I don't know if that kind of yeah. answers that, but oh, yeah, I think it does. Absolutely. Yeah. And tough. Then, wow. Verb <laughs> back to me. It was tough. Going to college. Yeah. 
very important time of everybody's life. Uh-huh. So how did that age come about for you? How did you get to the conversion therapies part of your college experience? Kind of how did that whole intersect with your race, your sexuality, yeah. your gender, everything? How did that look for you? So, okay, the move to Utah. So I graduated high school early because I was like, I'm out of, I'm done with this place. Um, and then my mom ended up getting sick. She had a brain tumor. So I was mm -hmm. like, it kind of coincided like perfectly. So I was like, I'm going to get the heck out of high school. So I was going to school during the day, going to school at night, graduated early in December, well, get to February. Mom has a brain tumor, brain surgery, gets out of, she's fine. They get, you know, it was good. And then it came the time where my mom's like, I'm fine, but you need to like, you're not going to school and I'm good. So you need to go get a job or you need to find something you want to do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I'll go up to Utah, like, and I could be a nanny or I could work as an assistant or something like that. So I ended up getting a job there, um, up in sugar house, working for a family. That was really weird. The dad was really weird and inappropriate, mm. Mm. but I was there for some months. I started going to Institute at U of U just to like get around people my age. And then I shifted out of that job. And then I ended up going to LDS business college. Okay. So, um, and then I moved to West Valley. So I was here. Um, and you know, I was very much craving being around people of color, black folks. And so like, I like started playing touch rugby with the Polynesians and was like chilling <laughs> with them and go to jam sessions. And then I started going to Genesis group and I was like, mm. oh my gosh, this reminds me of like the best times I had like at mm. black church, but like also people look like me. Mm. But then I see this lady over there, she looks like my mom. So this is a cool space. Like, mm. so there was all of that, but then again comes like the worthiness in interview. So I was very fully candid with my ecclesiastical leadership that I, you know, it was, it's probably somewhere in my file somewhere, like you struggle with same sex attraction. I hate that. But so <laughs> yeah. it was like basically the height of the struggle with that. But then also how that intersected with like my skin color was like, okay, well, I started, I'm a history buff. So I'm like, oh, so Genesis, like how did Genesis come to be? And why was it like that? And then mm -hmm. it's like, oh, so that, oh, that's a thing. Like the priesthood ban. Okay. Then you like talk, I talked to people about it, but it was through a white lens. Cause my family that's LDS is white. And so it was like talking to like my grandma, like, how did you feel about that? Well, it was just in due time. All these different things were happening. Mm. And so, like, I remember a, an interview I went to with my my bishop at the time, and I was at LDS Business College, and um, he was like, well, here are essentially your choices. You're really struggling with this. You either need to fast and pray and hope that your, you know, your burden can be eased and you can go and marry a man, and that's what you can do. Or you can be celibate. And, you know, there's no, being who you are, isn't the sin itself. The sin is acting upon it, right? Lusting mm -hmm. after anyone who isn't a cis man. Um, or, you know, if you're really feeling like you are really struggling and we can't manage this within us meeting and, you know, the resources I've already given you, um, I mean, there was also like, you know, pornography was an issue because then it's like, you know, you're looking for intimacy for like that fills what you mm -hmm. want. Mm -hmm. And so then it was like, well, you know, you can do the addiction recovery program. We can get you help. Like you can go to conversion therapy and, you know, see a therapist to help, you know, they called it getting help, but 
there was kind of an underground group of us at LDS Business College who were mm. in the Alphabet Mafia. And we were like, <laughs> we would know. And I, I had friends, I, I had friends who were like, if they offer you help, do not go. And they mm. were gay men and they were like, don't do it. It's conversion therapy. They say it's, you know, counseling. It's not, don't do it. Mm. They're like, just, you know, go to the program, do this 12 step program, you know, cause our, the church is pornography addiction, which is loosely it's, defined. It's a shit show is what it is. Yeah. yeah it, mm -hmm. It's modeled after AA. So like you have a sponsor, mm -hmm. you, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so pornography and sex addiction. So, and they, they define addiction as like, if you've done it once you're addicted. Right. Like, hmm. hmm. Yeah. So it's like, if you've had sex outside of marriage and, or more than once, and you've done the repentance process. So it was all of that. Mm -hmm. It was all kind of smushed together. And mm -hmm. then you've got all these different things kind of shooting at you. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna put this on the shelf. I'm gonna put this on the shelf. I'm going to focus on this. Obviously my biggest problem is being queer. Right. So, you know, just try and manage that. But there's no managing like human you can't, development right, and normal right. like <laughs> yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. Yeah. You're mm -hmm. just kind of constantly told like you're what's wrong, what you're mm. so fix it. Right. And that's the problem. So here's all the things that we can give to you. Mm. And I knew for sure I did not want to be celibate. I knew for sure. I was like, I am awoken. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, um, cool. A, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested. Um, and I was like, I'll do the 12 step program. I've been in and out. I well, not currently, but I was in and out of the 12 step program for a long time, even mm -hmm. after I got married to my ex husband. But like, it was just. I just feel like it's just constantly, if it's not one thing, it's another thing. Yeah. And it's just like all, all angles, just catching it. You can't catch a break. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I have my own experiences with the 12 step program, getting plopped into that when I was like 11, 12. And it's just like, I remember getting a, like I got sent to, I got sent to a, a therapist is an LDS, what is it? LDS family, family services. services. Yeah. I went to an LDS family services therapist with my dad for porn. Um, and my dad would sit in on the therapy session, so that didn't help. But then also <laughs> the therapist like gave me like this packet for like sex addicts. And I remember going through the packet and I'm like 12, 13 years old. And it's like, oh, you know, this is, you know, if you've ever had trouble where you drive past a strip club and you just can't resist the going, like, what do mm -hmm. you tell yourself to not go? And I'm like, I don't, I, I can't drive like, what <laughs> I do at a strip club. And so I just remember thinking like, this doesn't make sense. Right. And so I felt terrible because I was like, oh, I should be trying harder. But then at the same time, I was right. like, this isn't for me. And I always mm. just kind of had that mm. feeling like this doesn't make sense for me and for where right. I'm at. Um, but trying to balance that with like trying to balance what you feel with what you're being told is super difficult mm. in that yeah. situation. So I can definitely empathize with that a little bit. But mm. um, would you be comfortable talking about like how your identity um led you kind of like into your first marriage is that something you feel comfortable talking sure, about yeah, okay yeah fine. if you if you could no, that's yeah. fine um so i lived in utah and then a bunch of things just living life here for a few years then i went back home um and i was just like i i was and i don't know i was i kept begging and begging and begging to be sent on a mission i was like just send me on a mission I will, mm -hmm. I will go through the temple. I will go serve a mission and it will just get me away from like the obligation of feeling like I need to date and be married. Mm -hmm. And I, it will let, and honestly too, I was like, 
I don't mind like going somewhere, send me somewhere foreign. I, I spoke French in high school. Send me some, like, I was right. just like, get me out of At here. At least give me one good thing. There. Yeah. Mm. But then, um, the, my bishops were just like, no, 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 no. And I wonder, I've always like, speculated. Like they if, wouldn't let you go on a mission? No. Oh, wow. I, and I was also, I was like younger. So I was, I mean, at the time I was 20. So I was getting to the, up an age where I could go, mm. but they were just like, no, I, you know, and I, went home, met with the bishop at my home ward. And he was like, I feel that your mission in life is to find a husband. And I wonder if it was because somewhere in my file, like it said, don't like, maybe I was unsendable on a mission Mm -hmm. because I had been so candid about being same sex attracted that they were like, I mean, you know, speculation, but who who knows? Um, I mean, for somebody, for a grown man to tell a young woman your your goal and your mission in life is to get married. That's pretty insane. Oh yeah, absolutely. like that's that's pretty sick. Yeah, mm. I mean, and I and I tried. Like I dated guys, and it was just like it it just didn't work, or it worked too much, and it was like, you know. And I honestly, I feel like maybe it's like a purity culture thing. Like mm. when you're thinking about not doing it, then you want to do it. Right, and it's absolutely. like it becomes problematic even more mm-hmm. problem- it's like compounding absolutely. right yeah but anyway so i got home um and then i had agreed to go out to the movies with some friends a guy that i knew from back in utah he'd moved down there as well and he was like well it's cool like my brother he's an rm you've never met him but i had met uh, tons of his other brothers up here through other like business and whatever just social cir- circles um, and then he's like, yeah, my brother, you never met him. He's back from his mission. And then I'm going to bring this other girl and we'll just go to the movies. Um, and then we went to the movies and then I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe we could make something work. I was fresh out of this discussion with my bishop and he was like, mm. and, and, and he, he was convinced he's like, the opportunity will present itself. I mm. was convinced. I was like, well, Jeez. wow. Then you start connecting the dots. Like, right. is this divine intervention? Like, right. okay, but like, you cute. I, I could, I could be down with that. Mm. Um, there and was some intellectual stimulation going on. Yeah, there was yeah. some intellectual stimulation. I was like, oh wow, you went on a mission. Oh, tell me all about it, so I can live vicariously through you because right. I would love to do that. Mm. Anyway, so you know, we start dating, and you know, it was very much like. We were in the singles ward then because my home ward bishop was like, you need to go to singles ward. And then I went to the singles ward part of the time that was close to my parents and then part of the time of the singles ward where my ex-husband was at. And so then, you know, got just thrown into like the singles ward, which was really different outside of a college, which was a different vibe. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was like people were extra ready to get married. Mm Um, and it was really encouraged. And so like, then it's like, you get in these groups of friends and everyone's pairing off and then everyone's getting engaged. And then it felt like the natural order of things, you know, we, a few months in, he's like, yeah, you know, I prayed about it and I think that we should be married. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go meet with the state president. And again, had to bring up like, Hey, state president, like I've met this guy and this is the plan. And I was very candid with him and said, you know, I, you know, same sex attraction that, you know, this is what we're working with. He's like, well, you either marry this guy because we were together dating for like three months. He's like, you either marry this guy or you cut him loose and you find someone new. Like there's no Hmm. ifs, ands, or buts about it. I was like, okay. Interesting. That's wow. I think that because like maybe just the concern about messing up maybe or whatever. That's that's real. Um, But 
yeah. So then, mm. you know, we started going to the temple prep classes and like, we just had a chat about it one day and he gave me a fortune cookie and he was like, will you marry me in the fortune cookie? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we tell my friends at the singles ward on Sunday? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that, I mean, I have a lot of love that, you know, my ex-husband is the, the parent of two of my children, like, and, you know, effectively we built a life together for a time. So, you know, I don't really have anything necessarily to say negative about him. It was just like, here he was and he's like, oh, you know, and the state president was ecstatic. He's like, here's this person, same sex attracted, now hetero. You know, right. and then, you know, we were together a while engaged, like by the time we were married, we had been together for about a year, Okay. Um, which is a little longer than, right. you know, yeah. you know, whatever. But he also had a different kind of life, too. He served a mission late in life. He served in the military for a time and, mm -hmm. you know, did a military contract. So he had a different kind of life and it was kind of right. two unconventional people kind of coming together. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I mean. It was very much my church leaders getting ready to go to the temple. It was like, okay, we're going to get you ready. You've been totally transparent. Is there anything else you need to say? Anything you need to confess about, you know, your same-sex attraction? Are you still watching pornography? Is that something you're doing? And, you know, I laid off of everything. I was like, no, I only have eyes for him, brother, you know? So that was basically it. And we got married in the Mace, the Mace Temple in 2010. And in 2011, I had a baby and yeah, the rest is kind of history, had mm. babies and, um, you know, a, I guess a couple of years into the marriage, there started to be some issues where it was like, well, I, I know that I, I have mad love for you. And also there's part of my identity that is not being honored here. Yeah. Definitely started watching porn a lot more. It was, you know, gay porn, you know, and the day he found my uh, porn stash, that was not a good day in our household. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I thought, you know, what is this? Like, and he felt betrayed. And, you know, mm. also the culture in the church is like, if you're watching pornography and you're married, that's mm. like adultery. That's infidelity. It's right. infidelity. Yeah. So he felt very betrayed. And, you know, given the circumstances, rightfully so. And I was dishonest about it. it and it was not a culture of honesty where it's like you mm. could talk about things openly. It's like you keep it very like you know and so then there was a bunch of other things you know I ended up having like a really traumatic miscarriage and then I got pregnant with our son and then that was kind of the downhill when I had my miscarriage that was kind of a catalyst in me leaving hmm. I, it really kind of broke me wide open in a way that I had not been broken before leaving the the LDS church mm -hmm. or your marriage or both but okay both um, and I guess, you know, in hindsight, it's both because it was really a catalyst at first for like, well, what is my meaning? Like, and mm. if I can't even birth a kid, like, then mm. what am I good for? This is the role. And I had to deal with you, God, you know, like right. what is going on? And then because then that kind of was a catalyst for that, then I said, you know, Hey, at, we reached a point then, you know, a couple of years later where it was like, I cannot stay here. I want to be with you, but I cannot stay here. It is hurting my mental health. Like, I hate myself. I, some days I want to die because it's like, you're being told all the time, like, there's something wrong with you. And mm -hmm. I just was like, I either need to step away or I will not be here. 
And then he came to me. He's like, you know, he thought about it. He came to me. He's like, you know what? I respect what you want to do and how you feel. And I also need to honor myself. And if we cannot go to the celestial kingdom together, we will do it apart. And I will go my way and you can go your way. And I was like, well, okay. And we were living with my parents at the time. And so then started the process of like, well, you'll go your way. I'll go my way. We'll separate. And then I became a single mother. Well, so yeah, that's the long and the short of it. Well, okay. (laughs) So yeah. Hmm. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. There is, there is. I'm trying to make sure I I have to remember that I'm a BYU student. So I have to be careful on the next (laughs) words that are to come out of my mouth. But I do hear you on your story. I think it makes a lot of sense that one kind of correlates with the other. Um, Just as you're saying, like you left the church at a similar time, you left the marriage. And I think I've seen in my own life that in whatever circumstance it is, is that one happens to go with the other a lot is when you get, when two people get divorced, one of them potentially is going to also leave the church. I think it's kind of a, a, a pattern I've seen. Well, and I think also like when you're really caught up in orthodoxy, mm. like it really becomes hard to not like you either have it or you don't mm. like yep. I grew up in a house where I was like, well, my mom went to church happily, never went to the temple, but like honored her beliefs. My dad was Anglican, whatever he believed. I didn't even know that guy believed in God until we talked about it when I was an adult, but <laughs> they both had separate beliefs, but they were together right. and they've been together over 30 years at this point. Mm. So to me, I'm just kind of like, I came and I was like, I know we can make this work because I've seen it. Right. It was modeled I'm for me. I'm a living experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I saw my parents do it. So I believe in us. And But then, you know, you, when you, again, you get caught up in orthodoxy and it's yeah. like, well, if I can't have that, he literally was like, I can't have my wagon hitched to yours. I was like, all right. Then I, and Oof. that's the thing. I, I'm not the kind of person that's going to chase somebody. Right. I, you know, I'm just going to be like, well... That's what sounds like a boundary to me. So, okay. But, do you, and do you feel like, do you feel like it almost felt invalidating in a way for him to respond that way for you in the sense where it's like you are stepping away for your mental health and your mental and emotional safety? Do you feel like that, that hurt you in a way? Like I was still willing to push and, and oh, fight yeah. for this, but simply because I'm, this is literally causing like whatever you're not okay with that. Oh, that was, I mean, it was heartbreaking. Right. Cause then it's like, I mean, cause you have everything that you build and then it's like, okay, we're going to shift away from that. But like, I want to be fully there for you. And I guess a part of me, I think if I can look back at it, right. It's like a part of me was like, well, I thought you love me more than just because of the church. Mm. I definitely had to do that for you because here I am. Right. a queer woman mm. that loves you for who you are. You're the father of my kids, you know? Mm. Um, you're quirky and funny and there's all these things I've come to appreciate about you. And so, yeah, it was really mm. heartbreaking yeah. and sad. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know, years down the road, could have could it have worked out differently? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we would have still ended up where we're sure, at now. Sure. But, you know, in that moment, it was just like, damn. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. So it's definitely a lot to do with him. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going to ask. I don't know if it if it kind of fits in yet, but at this time you're living in Arizona, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, as that as your relationship, um, your marital relationship anyway comes to an end, 
Um, and then also your relationship with the church is kind of coming to an end. What, um, I guess, what was the next step after that? Like, mm-hmm. where where did you find yourself? Like, when did you start getting into bodybuilding, into real estate? Like, when did all of that kind of happen? Okay. I guess, like, your, your second leg of self-discovery, when and did that happen? Can I just include in that question, like, maybe if you can a little bit, if, you know, if this part of your story, talk about how maybe you became like how leaving the church and stepping into your, all these different aspects of your identity now um, helped, you know, liberate you or empower you and however that looked for you potentially just wanted to throw it in there too. Okay. I'll rewind a little bit. So I remember like, because when you're, when you're in the church, right, like you're told like you don't read any kind of literature that's anti or, mm-hmm. you know, derogatory towards the church. We had gone to the Easter pageant and normally I just pass by those people that are like protesting, but, just in passing, I just, I had my baby on my hip. I just grabbed their pamphlet. I put it in my bag and I just forgot about it. And then the next day, um, you know, my ex-husband was at school and I was at home alone with my baby, just like, and then I was going through my diaper bag and I was like, oh, and I read, you know, this piece of literature and I'm like, oh, like Hmm. my critical thinking is like saying this makes kind of like some sense. Hmm. And then it was like, it kind of reopened some of those like like I hate it's kind of more but like pick the scab of like racism for me because mm-hmm. it was like oh well blacks couldn't have the priesthood and here's why and like it was like a truth document you mm-hmm. know yeah um and then it's like you fast forward then it's like well the, I, then I had that miscarriage and then that like cracked open like well here I am talking to my bishop like oh well what's gonna happen with this baby and what does this even mean and then like all these different things but like you like it basically like all it's like a house of cards at all toppled to the ground and then like you're kind of responsible for like okay well what now i don't have someone telling me how i feel about certain things politically um i and then like i found myself like looking into these things that i had kind of denied myself so right. like i remember like one time we were sitting in sacrament meeting and the lady got up and she or in fast and testimony meeting and the lady got up and she's like obama's the antichrist and i was like <laughs> that's unique. And then it was like, (laughs) and then on the flip side, it was like, well, we have people that are going to be driving from Arizona. So if you can volunteer your time and your efforts, we're going to have, you know, caravan to California and we're going to protest and go knock doors about Prop 8. Mm. And here I am closeted. Like, Mm. we're going to go knock doors about what? Right. Uh, Count me out. Like, and so then everything falls apart and then you're kind of like coming into like, okay, well, where was I fresh out of that? I was a single mom working three, four jobs sometimes Mm. and then trying to like raise my kids. And then we had to navigate co-parenting in the church and like out of the church. So then we had to have those conversations. And so the kids were going to church with their dads on his weekends and then not going to church with me on my weekends. And it was very much, we had an agreement. I will say this too, like, he, as far as I know, and as far as I've, you know, been told, like he was very much, he would defend me and be like, nope, you don't get to say that about my ex-wife. Hmm. Um, I get to do this. She gets to do that. And both are fine. Um, and so that was really helpful. Like we definitely navigated those. Like, I feel like that was the best kind of circumstance I could have well, had yeah, as far as that good. goes. That's very rare um, I mean, cause sometimes these families will be like, I'm taking your kids, but it was not like that. Right. Um, and then it was like, well, now I get to kind of figure out who I am without someone telling me who I am. Mm -hmm. And that was like, okay, 
I, what do I know for sure? I was watch. I was really into like Oprah, Super Soul Sunday, and she would ask people, "What do you know for sure?" Mm. And then it literally was like, "Well, I know that I'm kind," because I I didn't know a lot of things for sure. And then I'd mm. have to go and discover that. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I know that I'm a hard worker because here I am working three jobs, raising you know three kids, and doing these things. And and then I reached a point then where, like with kind of some economic stability came some more free range to like go explore like hobbies. So then I kind of got involved with like the rugby community and it was like, okay, well now that I have some money coming in and things are not so touch and go all the time, I'm going to go and just go where I can take my kids. So I just started playing touch rugby because I was like, I'm about to turn 30. I just want to do the things that will bring me joy and just try a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. I got into Latin dancing. That was really fun. Um, and then like, I just tried to find community outside of like a religious one, but then also I was still like on hyper, like awareness mode, like "Mm, that seems a little culty. I'm going to like not get too involved. (laughs) So it was like, just trying, like it was trial and error. Yeah. So, um, you know, I get my first salary job. I thought I was like a big girl. Like I got a my first, like making $45,000 a year and I'm single mom. I'm like making it, you know, (laughs) I'm turning 30. Like, this is great. I'm playing rugby. And then I was like, I'm going to start a rugby team. So then I started a rugby team, super grassroots. It was just like, I'm just going to talk about rugby and I want women to have a rugby team. So then I was like, Hey, then you just kind of start. If the more you talk, the more you attract people who are kind of all about the same stuff. So then I yeah. ran into some girls and they had played rugby at U of A and Jess and Sammy, they were like, yeah, let's do this. And so we were grassroots together and it was nice to finally have women to go play with because yeah. before that, for almost two years, I was playing with the men and training with the men. Yeah. And I, I was like, it, it hits a little different when you're getting hit by a <laughs> yeah. 6'1", 250-pound dude. Like some giant dude so, Sione, it's not the yeah, same. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, mm. so yeah. And then, so I started the rugby team and then that's where kind of like, um, and women's rugby, it's very much an inclusive space. It's very much a queer space. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that men's rugby isn't, but I think because of like patriarchy and like some sure. homophobia things, like people yeah. are like, mm, you know, yeah. Arizona has a gay rugby team, a gay men's rugby team, and it's they're great. They're oh, called cool. the Phoenix Storm. And so cool. like we would very much cross paths. And that gave me the space to really like come into my queerness more. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, like I can play sports. I can do these things. And like, I can be in a space where I can just, it's safe to be who I am. And that was really beautiful. Mm. Um, And I think because of that, it really put me in a place where I had been going to therapy for some years and like really got good at being alone and like being there for my kids. And like, I would date around, but it was just like, okay, like, cool. But then um, comes a love story. My now wife, she ended up getting orders out of EOD school, which is bomb tech school in Florida. So her first duty station was Luke Air Force Base. And she Googled rugby in Arizona hmm. and Phoenix rugby. Phoenix Whoa. women's rugby came up. She came out to a practice and like I saw her and I went and sh- shook her hand just <laughs> like I know how to do. And I would just go and say, hey, I'm Jay. Nice to meet you. Like, welcome to the team. We're so happy you're here. And she's like, yeah, I was like, okay, you're cute. Oh, that's so <laughs> and then, cute. That that's adorable. And then, um, yeah, like we, she just kept coming to practice. And then like my kids were always where I was at. Like mm. 
you know, if I didn't have my kids, they were at their dads. And so like, it was not uncommon for my kids to be at a rugby practice and just like playing and seeing whoever was there. And so like, I remember she was like, Hey, everyone, this, like, I think this second or third practice. She's like, I'm going to be running a 5k. If anyone wants to come run, I was like, I will not be running because I only run in rugby, mm. but I will come and like <laughs> watch. <laughs> I'll come and watch. And then, you know, whatever. And we hung out that day after her run and she took first place. And I was like, hey, yeah. And she was like totally friend zoning me. But I was like, I'm persistent. Can't, can't friends on a winner. Yeah. Like, I was like, hey. And then so long and the short of it is we start talking. I tell her, hey, I'm gay. And she's like, well, I think you're straight because <laughs> you have kids. And I was like, queer people have kids too. It's fine. <laughs> but anyway, um, we start dating and, you know, then we become official. Like, I'm like, yeah, I think I want you to be my girlfriend. She was my first girlfriend mm-hmm. that I ever had. Mm. Um, and then, then came like navigating things of like, okay, you're dating someone and your girlfriend has kids. So let's see how that is. Um, and then came COVID. <laughs> so like we ended up becoming official like in November, had a whole rugby season November and then 20, 2019. 2019. Okay. And then had a whole rugby preseason and season. It was beautiful, great traveling, playing rugby, kids, all things. And then March of 2020, she's like, I'm gonna go up to Colorado because she plays rugby for Air Force Two. Oh, and wow. so she was like, I'm gonna go do that. You can come meet me, whatever. And then, like, they shut down the country. And then they shut down the rugby tournament. It was, like, a big deal. Like, they had armed forces, like, Air Force. They had um, royal people. Like, the Royal um, Air Force from New Zealand was there. And the Australian military was there. So then they were like, we're going to do this great thing. And then COVID happened. They shut everything down. March 15. She flies back. And then we just kind of shelter in place. And then... We moved her into my place and we were like, okay, we're just going to do this, you know? And it was very much like COVID, dating, kids, and like all the things. And then, you know, we ended up getting a dog together. That was cool. So we could walk the dog outside. But um, yeah, so that really will teach you a lot about being a couple, you know, Mm -hmm. the Rona. And then, yeah, then we ended up getting engaged. Um. In May, Cinco de Mayo, we'd watch this really cute um, documentary about these um, lesbian ladies who played football, or not football, baseball. Like, it was like a league of their own kind of thing, but they Mm. played baseball and they fell in love on their baseball team, but they were, like, in the 50s. So it was, like, these older, like, lesbian women, like, all in this gay, like, football or baseball league. And then I was, like, I was moved by that. I was, like, we're... We're together. We play rugby. Will you marry me? <laughs> and then, like, it's she cute. proposed to me, like, a couple months later. And then, um, yeah, like, we were engaged. And then we ended up eloping. And then we bought a house. Like, oh, it was wow. just, like, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Like, together, yeah. yeah, like, um, so I guess you asked about real estate. So in March of 2020 was when I was wrapping up getting my real estate license. Mm-hmm. I was like... At my big girl salary job, and I was like, I'm just gonna get my license on the side. And they, I had asked for time off, and they were like, Yeah, you can have the time off. And then they came back to me and said, Oh, wait a minute, we don't want to give you that time off. I was like, Well, I could just leave. And so I, they called me on my bluff, and I left. I was like, <laughs> I got savings. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm basking in it, right? So I, I went to real estate school, got my license, and then I helped us buy our first house, which was cool. big for me because like. 
I had never, it, it was like very much housing insecurity, like as a single mom, yeah. mm -hmm. like mm. I would move every year or so. Mm. Um, and then at the apartment I was at, I had been there. That was the longest place time I'd ever stayed in one place. And so it was a big leap. So we eloped on September 1st. We closed on our house on September 3rd wow. of 2020. And then we moved our new blended family into the house along with like, we still were co-parenting with my kids' dads. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, like that's kind of how that all worked out. It's beautiful. I love the story. <laughs> it's a lot. It's very, it's so cute. I say, I it, out, it. It I is, say yeah. it out loud and I'm like, that's a lot. It's an amazing story though. And I've never like heard the whole thing mm -hmm. like, all at once, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I, I feel like kind of the, the, what I'm getting from it is like basically like the first half of your life, it kind of felt like everything like that you did was kind of told to you, like what you were supposed to be, what you were going to do. And then like once you broke away from that and you just started making your own decisions, mm. there was like some trial and error. But like for the most part, you figured out who you were and you were right. true to that. And like it just is interesting to hear like the first thing you're talking about, like growing up, going to college, all of that, your first marriage. And then like hearing about everything that happened after that, right. once you like took charge of your own um like your own destiny, I guess, to, right. for lack of a better word. But well, and I it was, to hear that. I don't know. It was really like just hearing you say it, like, and I'm like, if I can just be totally honest, I felt like I had to like try really hard to just live. And mm. like, mm. I feel like coming out and like kind of transitioning and coming into my own, like it wasn't even like rediscovering anything that wasn't there. It was like falling into alignment. Mm. like everything before mm -hmm. like everything but i like that we've previously discussed it was just like it was just like opposition opposition it was just like always mm. like having to like push and like do something that almost felt unnatural right but then like it was just kind of it felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders because then it was just like mm. i can just be me and that is enough come on mm. that's okay like, yeah. and it's okay. Like, mm. I don't have to show up as anybody else, but mm -hmm. Jillian. Mm. And I feel like that was like super empowering because then mm. it was like, okay, now I feel like I've kind of come into my own. I have a house. I never thought I'd be able to own a house. Like we're building this life. And then that also gave me the space to be able to be like, well, what else can I do? Right. So I have this rugby team. Okay. Why don't I try something else? I got injured playing sports. I had, you know, first it was a shoulder with some broken fingers, you know, mm. season after season, it kind of wears on you. There's little things that happen when you play sports, like whether it's a contact sport or not. But I especially was like, rugby. I mean, especially yeah. rugby. No pads, that, no I, helmets. Those, that didn't happen to me yeah, in basketball. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> You're my, you might go through a few different things than <laughs> right. I went through. Oh, yeah, I was like, crack teeth. Like, you just kind of work <laughs> it. But then I was coming off an injury, and I was like, okay, so what could I do? And I was going to PT, mm. and I was like, well, it wouldn't hurt. My, my physical therapist, she's great. She's like, it wouldn't hurt if you got strong. Like, if you could just weight lift and, like, do your exercises and, like, take some time off from beating yourself up and not giving enough time to recover, mm. it could help you. I'm like, okay. So I took a rugby season off and I was like, well, I'm still competitive as hell. <laughs> so right. what I'll do, I'll just try bodybuilding. Mm. So then I was like, I'm kind of killing two birds with one stone. I'll weight lift, get buff. And then like, I can still do it to like win. <laughs> right. So, so then, um, bodybuilding came in the picture 
it was so cool. Mm. Um, it was very challenging to like, it was a new way to kind of optimize and like challenge myself in a new way. Um, and then, so I, you know, I started training in 2022, March of 2022. I love March. Um, right, March is your month. Yeah, I was like, March, <laughs> March Madness. So we went to Disneyland. I was like, I'm going to go to Disneyland for spring break. And then we're going to like hit the, hit the pavement, like running. That's cool. And then I started weight training and like I had a coach and, you know, to help me with nutrition just because I was like, ignorance on fire, man. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to just get big. And then I started eating my protein. And then I did my first show in August of 2022. Got really good feedback place, which, you Come know, on. I was like, bet. I'm if not mad about that. And then Wait, I went <laughs> in August of 2022. Yeah. That was your first show. Yeah. I did not know that. I remember when you placed. I did not know that was your first show, though. Yeah, that was my first show. That's, That's remarkable. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was crazy. It was a cool experience. Um, and my first show was in a Natty League. So, like, the vibe is a little different. Mm. Um, it's called the OCB. Um, and then I went to an MPC show, which is, like, the larger known federation. It's not drug tested. So, it, it's got a little bit more different culture, too. Like, you know, it's a bit bigger. Mm. Um, did that show still placed a little bit lower, but like it was more competitive. So mm -hmm. I was like, all right, back to the drawing board. Um, they said, you need to grow your shoulders and you need to build your butt. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, I'll just do my best. And then uh, we just kept kind of chipping away. And then November, I did my last show of my season and I ended up going pro. And so I went down to Tucson and I was like, I'm just going to surrender. Hey. Right. I was mm -hmm. like, I'm just here to bring my package. What's the worst that could happen? You know, I go to makeup. Go, oh, I go to my tan, my, you know, and it was a tested federation. So I went to do my lie detector test, get my tan. You know, they're trying to make sure. Wait, lie detector test? Yeah, it's a it's a way that they make sure. It's like their first wall of defense to make sure you're not using, like, banned wow. substances. Hmm. Okay, yeah. interesting. No, that kind of threw me off. But I was yeah. like, you know, maybe everybody else is smarter than me, and I'm just the only one confused. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, yeah. even me, I'm like, okay, you want to give me a, drug, a lie detector test? That's fine. I'm like, it's not admissible in court. So I'm like, what? Mm. but what can it hurt? I know right. I'm, not, I know I'm not doing anything I'm not supposed to be doing. Is it just because the substances, like, don't necessarily show up in a blood test? So... Like, depending on which ones you take? Or so I think what it is, it's like they're they're basically just trying to be like, okay, we're going to lie detector you. So if you don't pass a lie detector, then that's our first thing, like right. our first indicator, if you will, to say, oh, you're, you could be doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't pass, I don't think you're allowed to compete, but passed it because I'm not doing drugs. <laughs> not any ones that are banned anyway. And then, <laughs> and then um, I go for my tan. It was just like so chill. Like, and then the lady that was tanning me, she's great. Um, she's a black owned business. Oh, Love her to death. Well, and she's also the show like promoter. Okay. So she, she was just like very much like, she's all about like making it a good experience for her athletes. Mm. So she's like, hey, honey. We're going to go get you tanned and all that stuff. I was like, bet. This is great. Thank you so much. And like, we're just vibing. And then um, the next I, day. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I yeah. do got to say, I love the idea of a black owned tanning business. I know. That's a big flex. That's, I that's, know. I'm. That's G for real. And honestly, we need to be doing that. Why are we not capitalizing on you? You want to be my like color. Right. You, you, I'll, I'll, I'll share the melanin. You're going to pay me. <laughs> right. No, Roundabout I'll, reparations. No, right, you feel me? Right. I'll, you know, that's actually a genius. No, A black-owned tan shop mm -hmm. in Provo. You, you want to be like me? I'll start is. all the ashiness. I'll start scratching. And I'll be like, I'll add that to the package. <laughs> We're going to teach you how to moisturize. Okay? <laughs> I'll be like, you need oh some free God. ash with a tan. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, like it was dope. And like, we just, we all just showed up hmm. and like, it was just like, I just eased my way into the show. Like I just, I watched hunger games the night before my show. I was eating peanut butter, jelly sandwiches. Okay, <laughs> I was okay. getting my, my extensions ready because you got to have show hair. So that mm. was a thing. Mm. And so I was just like doing my hair up, getting it ready, got my bikini all out, like, you know, and so, yeah. And then just showed up show day, makeup to the nines, like already I had one of my cousins, she flew down, my baby sister came and watched. And then like, I was, I went in, I was like, and, and of course, like you go in and you're, it's like in bodybuilding, they say it's like you against you. Hmm. And it is true. It's a solo sport. And some people might be on a team like competing and they show up to shows together, but at the end of the day, it's you. Right. So like I showed up, you know, of course I'm going to size up the, everyone around me. Cause I was like, how do my glutes look against her glutes? And mm. oh, her calves are good, but like, you know, you're just right. kind of, and then yeah. you just kind of like laser in. I thought that I would come in. There was a girl that I saw, I was like, oh, she's going to take the show. I was like, she's going to win. I did not go in thinking I was going to win, hmm. you know, whatever. I was like, I might place, but if I don't, oh, well, it's the last show. And then I get to have like Mexican food. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so then like, I was, I, yeah, it was like really surreal. Like we just did it. We did the comparisons and like they have you in like height classes and you walk out in your in your smaller class and they compare and then you win in your class and then you have the open um, and then you, they compare all the winners of the classes up to each, like against each mm -hmm. other and then they determine the winner. But oh well, yeah, it was crazy. And then like they have the, I win my class and I was like, <laughs> this is a win. I this is the perfect end to my bodybuilding season. My first year, I was like, this is great. Right. And then I go back and I'm watching. I go back. I leave. I go into the front because you can sit and watch the other, you know, competitors. And I'm like cheering everybody on. There was a girl from Texas. Oh man, I'll never forget her, her name's. Uh, she goes by Ada. Like if you're, gonna, but it's Ada. She's mm. Nigerian. So we like connected backstage. Mm. I saw her in her class. I was like, let's go, Nigel. Like power. Like let's do this. And she's just like, yes. And she won. And I was like, this is great. So like everyone's just celebrating everybody. Yeah. And then comes like the open. So then like they have everyone from all the classes. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. All the winners from each class. Yeah, all the winners from e each class. And I was like, this is great. Like I can't believe I'm here right now. Like mm. all these women, like these competitors, we did it. I feel like I'm making it. And then they're like, okay, everyone go off. We're going to call everybody out for the top and then whatever. And then like, anyway, long and the short of it is they call, they bring everybody out, you know, and they're given trophies and it get like, they call fifth place. I was like, oh, great. Okay. I'm fourth place. At least I know I'm not right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I got fourth place. Okay, cool. And then they're like, fourth place is this person. I was like, oh, okay. Top three. Oh, this is great. I'm top three. And then they're like second place. I was like, okay, so I'm getting second and that other girl's going to win. I was like, damn, this is good. And then they're like, and for the first place winner, well, we have Jillian soul. And I was like, right. and then yeah. my sister's losing it and my cousin's losing it. And my friend that came and watched you, she's just like, yeah, where I'm, I'm just like in shock. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was crazy. And like, I, I I feel proud because, I mean, bodybuilding, we're athletes, right? But it is still very like, it's a very white dominated sport. Right. And I think also because like barriers to entry, like it can be expensive to compete, especially if you're doing, if you go all out every single show, like mm. it's a lot. Mm. And then like, if you're going to like national shows and like all this stuff. So 
I just felt lucky to, lucky to be there. And also like, you know, I'd been working, selling houses and like, you know, so I could fund this. I was like, you know, you work, you know, for months and months to do this. And so that was really cool. And then also like the promoter, I was just so happy that I like, it, it just felt like mm. black power, like mm. a black promoted show and like my tanning, my like everything, yeah. my makeup, it was all like black excellence. And I was like, this is dope. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, and then it was, you know, I end up packing up, I get my feedback from the judges. I drive home from Tucson. Cause it's like, you know, from driving from like Provo to to like Ogden. So I'm okay. driving home, go to my family. They said, su they surprised me with a Blackstone grill. I was like, I okay. made it. Wow. So yeah, but anyway, amazing. that was bodybuilding, but it was cool. That's it was cool. really, you know. And that yeah. was a pro show or that was an amateur show? So I, so I earned my pro status. So if you mm -hmm. win an amateur show, you then get your pro status. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Amazing. So I think it's cool to hear your story because... <clears throat> You, you see your life, it's kind of what Nate was saying too, is like you see your life become, it, it feels at least how you describe it to us, effortless. You know what I mean? Like, I think what's beautiful is when you step into, when you leave, okay, to make it make sense, there's this book that I love, um, and it's the Seven Spiritual Laws, I think it's oh, called. I just listened to that today. It's so, mm, it's, it's, it's not everybody mm -hmm. who can, has ears or eyes or anything, just have the book. The point is, in the book, it says there's two, basically it says there's two paths in life. And it's one is to be, make your decisions by fear. And to, the other one is to make your decisions by intuition. Mm. And I think what happens is a lot of religions, um, especially Mormonism, because that's what, you know, that's my experience, that's right? It's all our experience, mm. what we know. But religions um, can push your, your actions by fear. If mm. you don't do this, then you won't live in the celestial kingdom. If you don't go on a mission, then you won't find a good spouse. X, Y, Z, and forever and forever. But I think when you step out of that 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 mindset, you start to live by intuition and it becomes effortless because it's just what feels right. But I also think you see so much success. You started a rugby team. First off, what? You know yeah. what I mean? Like you started a rugby team. Mm -hmm. you, you, you All these things, you're a pro bodybuilder and a, and a real estate agent. Like all these things, I think are very beautifully effortless. And I think a lot of it has to do with like being, you know, able to move by your path, you know? Um, anyways, I just think that's beautiful to recognize in your story, but also something I value a lot too. Well, and fear is like a really powerful motivator, Insane. right? Mm -hmm. And like right under fear, like shame, mm -hmm. like, and when you let that go and you can be powered by something else, I feel like that's where it's like exponential growth. Absolutely. Like, and it compounds. Mm. Like, that's all I can explain. I mean, because literally it's like, okay, how could I go... 26 years living a certain way. And then in this short span of time, right. it seems like it happened overnight, but it was like all of that was a culmination to what's here now. Yep. And it's weird to kind of like look back in hindsight. For sure. But like, yeah, it, it becomes a really beautiful life when you don't feel like mm. scared, mm. you know? Heard you. So, Love that. Yeah. Powerful. Mm. Powerful story, right. powerful. I'm blown away right powerful now. Powerful bodybuilder. I'm a sucker for an underdog, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, before we do our recommendations, is there anything else that you want to share? Anything yeah. you felt like you didn't get to talk about? Anything you wanted to bring up? I try to cover everything that you put in your... I mean, I, I don't know. I remember when, like, again, when I was, like, secretly, like, in the midst of, like, 
trying to deconstruct my mm. faith, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I remember, like, they had the I'm a Mormon campaign. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then on the flip side of that, I remember coming across YouTube and it was like, and I'm an ex-Mormon. Mm-hmm. And I watched some of those videos and here I am, like, in my fear-based, like, mm-hmm. self, like, closeted, mm-hmm. like, trying to function and, you know, be everything that I'm not. Like, and I was like, oh, these people are saying that they're happy. Right. Like, that they are finding happiness mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of, like, this construct that they used <sighs> to prescribe to. And now they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And I also want to say, if you choose to be mm-hmm. in a faith that mm-hmm. is a personal choice. For sure. Absolutely. As long as you're not harming yourself, anybody else, or you're standing up for people who are being harmed, I respect I respect your right to do that. For yeah. sure. Um, you know, and I expect that same thing mm. in return. Um, but like just keep I I would just say keep trying to optimize and like discover and like dig deeper because like I, I had a lot of stuff to, that I had internalized. Like I had, a I dealt a lot with anti-blackness. Mm-hmm. Like my proximity, I was working hard to close that gap with my proximity to whiteness because that was the ideal. Mm-hmm. Same thing with my sexuality. I was, I was working hard, <laughs> like to <laughs> really show up <laughs> and not be who I was mm-hmm. in order to be like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I guess it's just like you can find happiness, you can like let go of shame and guilt and all that stuff. And I feel like there's a lot of really amazing things on the other side of that. Absolutely. And it's like it's worth it. And I would say like it it was deconstruction is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Ever. Heard you. I I mean, divorce, like it was hard, like hard, mm-hmm. but I would do it a, a million times over right mm-hmm. if i knew that i could get to the point where i'm at now and like being able to just like connect with people in a different way and that's the other thing too i didn't want friendships and relationships of convenience i wanted like friendships and relationships of like substance mm-hmm. like i didn't want it to be like well i'm your visiting teacher so right or mm-hmm. we go to church together mm-hmm. so like i wanted to be able to look at another human and be like you are dope. Right. You look like someone I want to talk to. Mm. Like, let's find some common ground and like, let's like converge in this moment and maybe we see each other again and maybe we don't. But like, it's really cool to have an exchange like that where there's no motives other than just like, I'm just being a human for human sake and I'm just being kind for the sake of being kind. Right. So, I don't, I don't know. I guess that's kind of all, Absolutely. that's all I got. But, yeah. Received. <laughs> received. <laughs> Message received. received. Absolutely. We appreciate wow. it. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, last thing we got to do is we always got to have our recommendations at the end. Um, Sebastian, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Yes, I have a great recommendation, okay. actually. Hit it. I did on the way here. Um, and this is going to be very off the wall. So normally, if you go to the gas station and get a Slurpee, in my experience in life, you get like one or two, Right. Mm-hmm. Not to, nothing crazy. One or two, just drop them in there. Today I put like five, <laughs> and let me tell you, that was like the best decision I think I've made, because, you know, from my experience, when you drink a Slurpee, it's like, oh, I feel like I've been drinking this flavor for too long. It's good. It's a little <laughs> too sweet, though. I'm over the flavor. 
when you have like five flavors in there, let me tell you, you're not going to be rid of any flavor. You're you're happy. Continue. You're like, ooh, you know what I mean? Like, ooh, uh-huh. switch up. So that's my recommendation. Go to the this is like I said, off the wall. <laughs> Go to Maverick. That's where I went. Oh, Maverick. Get about five different Slurpee favors, and I promise you, it will hit the palate differently. That's me. Yep. That sounds good. Boom. To me. Delulu is the Salulu. And it will be. And it will be. (laughs) Have you tried the Frazil that they have at at Maverick? No, but I was looked at it yesterday and it it just about come up. It's unbelievable. I don't know how they make that that particular substance, but it's like little tiny things. It's like crushed ice, but I don't even... Okay. And now I'm mad that I didn't do it when they had that big deal here. Oh, yeah, yeah. The free one. Yeah, like free Frazil every Friday or something. I did not do it because I didn't know what a Frazil was. Yeah. I'll be honest. I didn't get one that like whole month. I think we did it one time, but... (laughs) It's delicious. Okay. For Love sure. it. So, got to try the Frazil. Have you tried Frazil? No. No? <laughs> yeah. We have like a very chubby friend relationship. <laughs> yeah, we do. We eat a lot when we're together. We do. It's a very, it's a special bond uh, we have. <laughs> we've been trying different kinds of stuff. We went to, like, it was like crumble cookies, but for cinnamon rolls. Yeah. Wow. So, they had like custom cinnamon rolls. Oh. Those were incredible. Right. What else did we try? We tried like a random Somali we, restaurant. We had one day about, I took a video, it's probably about 7,000 calories. It had to be. Yeah. I ain't even mad about that. We it's bulking season. Mm-hmm. It was a good day. <laughs> we're, the, we're bulking partners. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. It's all about fitness. It's the chocolate is to bulk. Yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we should make a, a Nate and Sebastian Eats TikTok or something. Hey, I mean, I, I'm here for that. Maybe we'll do that. But uh, it? okay. Okay, yes. Yeah, My recommendation for this week. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So I actually, I just listened to a book um, by an author named S.A. Cosby. It's a black author. I don't know if that's mm. like the real name or a pseudonym, but man, that book was so good. It's called, it called All the Sinners Bleed. All, oh, and it's a okay, fictional word. book about a black sheriff in, a, in like, a, like a Southern Virginia County um, who has to catch a serial killer. Okay, and man, I've never read like I was trying to remember the last time I read a book by a black author. Um, but the way they were able to weave that story together, it just combines like all the, the elements of a perfect book. And so reading that, you really identify with with the main character who is a sheriff. And he has to deal with like the perception of being a sheriff in a predominantly white county in the South where he's dealing with a lot of racist people. Mm. Who like want to you know I won't get too much into it. But it's like dealing with the racial dynamics of that, and then also how he's perceived by the black community, mm, and they talk about that. Oh, and also, while he's trying to like find this serial killer, oh man, it's such That's a cool. good book. Okay. So it's called All the Sinners Bleed. You can find it on Libby. You can check it out at the library, whatever. We're big supporters but of Libby here. That is my recommendation is to, to read that book, okay. All the Sinners Bleed. Thank you, Madam Jillian. What you got? Oh man. Um. Okay. I had a few, and now they're just like gone. That's how it happens. It, it, it would be okay. like that sometimes. Just whatever comes to your intuition, just go. It could be a slurpee. Um, I mean, I'll, okay, I'll go to like bodybuilding because you know Come that's on. what I know. Um, one of the number one things that people always like talk about is like, well, what do I do for like my macros? And I recently heard about this um, eight hundred gram challenge, where basically what it is is just as a starting point. Like before you try and kick off any kind of like fitness journey or like say you want to be a bodybuilder or you want to like do CrossFit, whatever, start with like changing the most minimal things you can change instead of like doing big, cha- like big changes. Mm-hmm. So you're successful. You're setting yourself up for, for success. Sure. Mm-hmm. Pivot point to that would be Atomic Habits. If you haven't read it, mm-hmm. read it. Cool. It's not a black author, but there's a lot of really great nuggets in there so that you can be 
striving towards your own black excellence. Mm, period. Um, but the 800 gram challenge is something I recently actually just heard about today where um, you just commit to eating 800 grams of fresh produce every day. That's dope. And then like, mm. you don't change anything else. Like That's drink your water so cool. and stuff like that. Is, yeah. But like the premise is that you eat the 800 grams of fruit and veg <laughs> when whatever it's mm -hmm. not, don't think, don't overthink it. Just do it. <laughs> and then once you do that, you can then, say, okay, now I'm going to add protein. I'm going to start prioritizing protein. So like, it's just like little habit changes. Cool. I'm right there myself right now. Like I had a huge back surgery in May. Hmm. So like I came from that high and like got real humbled real quick. And I had <laughs> to like totally scrap my pro season and I got like really depressed, hmm. but now I'm just trying to like get back on that like yeah. groove. So I'm like, I'm going to be doing the 800 gram challenge. That's cool. So yeah. I would enjoy if you guys, I would encourage you <laughs> to try it. That's cool. I actually might low-key yeah, do it. I, I was doing like fitness stuff the whole first part of the year. And then I, in August, I went on too many vacations. <laughs> um, I was eating to say the least. It's been a great time. I'm not, I'm not um, mad at it, but I might do that because I'm about to get back into it, Yeah, which is great and yeah. sad. I mean, even if you're like not working out, it's just a good like right. rule of thumb to like, huh, 800 grams. And it's not a lot. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a salad. Cool. But yeah. I like that. That's dope. Out, yeah. yeah. Cool. That grocery bill can go up. No, for real. <laughs> also, for the grams part, um, is there like a good scale that you would recommend? Like a, a food scale or like a good way to measure food? Because mm. like a lot of people, we you know, we're Americans. We don't know the metric system. <laughs> I know I know about grams for a different reason. But... Right. Same. <laughs> Me too. And also, <laughs> all I got to say is just forget your freedom units and just go with grams. It's going to be the most accurate, especially mm -hmm. if you're, if you're going to weigh your food, weigh it. If, if you don't want to weigh it, then you could use measuring cups. You know, that's always good. But mm -hmm. weighing your food is always going to be the most accurate. And I always encourage like a little life hack is like pre-weigh everything. So you don't have to like weigh it every time. So like on Sundays, I cook seven pounds of like chicken thighs or chicken breasts. And then I weigh out my little snacks. So it's like grab and go. That's cool. Okay, yeah. But like that, because I just, I I got ADHD. I'm trying to medicate that stuff and get it under wraps. And mm. it's like, I ain't got the bandwidth for some stuff sometimes. Heard that. Yeah. For them. Make, make it easy. Make it easy to choose mm. what you want to do. <laughs> I like that. I'm pretty sure I have some undiagnosed ADHD myself. It'd be like that. Yeah, well, my, psych, my therapist did tell me I had ADHD. We like went through the DSM and everything. But like official diagnosis, I don't have that, but. That's yeah, I would I also sorry, my rec I, I'm just no, I'm coming no, through with all kinds of recommendations. We're having a good time. Right. I would I would mad. just say to um <laughs> please if you think that if you are speculating that you think you have ADHD, I I was assessed as a child and my mom and dad had like decided not to medicate cuz they felt like the meds were too new at the time. Mm -hmm. So I had to find lots of different ways to manage it and it wasn't always the most successful. Right. But if you think that you have ADHD or you're somewhere in that little spectrum of, you know, ADD whatever, go get tested, especially right. if you're black. Mm -hmm. Like because I feel like I mean, that's a whole other podcast, probably like <laughs> discrepancies in how we get diagnosed. Mm. Like, oh, and yeah. sometimes we really have to advocate for ourselves, whether it's mm. ADHD and mental health or like birth. Right. Like, yeah. Our last but episode. go get tested, mm. go get tested and get us, get an assessment by a reputable place. Right. 
if at all you if you can like i found a really great black therapist mm. and she's a psych a psychologist that you know she can assess me because there i feel like there's nuance there but that'll be sure. my my end recommendation is take care of your mental health y'all because yeah. you will suffer if you don't and you only right. got one body and you only got one brain mm. So period. Okay, can I just say one more recommendation? <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're this good. is Come this on. is on the Chubby Boy Adventures. <laughs> Dairy Queen boy has and boy. 85 cent uh small blizzards really? for the next few days. Oh, okay. So download the app and get you an 85 cent blizzard. Let me tell you, in the right circumstance, that blizzard will change your life. I believe it. What in the Utah? 85 cent? 85. It's because it's like some special blizzard. It's like 85, 85th anniversary or something. Oh, wow. Oh, dang. 85. It's something years. like super, you know, like particular to Dairy Queen. But 85 cents for a small is kind of a still. No, I think it's still September 24th. That takes me okay. back to the days of Big Mac Mondays at LDS Business College. And we're all starving. <laughs> 99 cent Big Macs. Oh, wow. I would throw down three of those. I kid you not. Yeah, that and is. I, that's not mad at it. But yeah, problem. what in the Utah? Get it. Get yeah. it. Since we're on the chubby boy thing, come on. I saw an article today. Today is National Cheeseburger Day. Mm. No, it's a Monday right now. So I don't know if this this will come out. Oh, this comes out next week. This might not even be valid by then. Well, but maybe it'll still are... be. I know until what is today? The 18th? Is the 22nd, Wendy's is selling one cent burgers. Yes, they are. So get you a one cent burger. I'm about hundred if, if it's still going on Spend by the time you hear this. But... Thank goodness for bulking season. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Smiles all around. And if you know if you're cutting, then get the the bunless burger. You know lettuce right. wrap. Get that lettuce you wrap. You still need protein there and fats. Right. Get mm. it. Cool. Period. All right. Well, Jillian Soul, thank you so much yes. for coming on the podcast. We had a great time interviewing you. So me. grateful that you flew all the way from the far away and exotic land of Arizona. Oh, exactly. Yeah. To, uh, to come and grace yes, us with, with your story. We learned a lot today, so we appreciate that. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, Thanks good. for like. Doing all you guys do. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This was a beautiful time, beautiful experience. You guys For are sure. great. And with that, we'll catch y'all next week. Bye. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>